0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Hey, it looks like you found a seat. Go ahead and stand. Welcome, hey, welcome if you're new here to Milwaukee Community Church. My name is Michael. Uh, we're going to start off singing, singing praise to God. I love that there's an, old, there's an old Hebrew word for praise. It's basically shout. So we're commanded to sing loudly, and I think this is the perfect opportunity. We're the choir right here. There's no band, it's just together. We're going to be a choir for God this morning and sing loudly. God, it's good to be here. You awaken our hearts to your goodness. We cry out to you, Hosanna, Lord, come save us. So when
1: we see you,
0: we find
1: strength to face the day.
0: The song was written by uh, a gal who actually lost her sight how crazy is that later on in life she was singing those words. let's let's sing it one more time you guys know it well so turn
1: your eyes upon jesus look for
0: Our soul on you, Jesus. Would you be glorified? We see you for who you are. You already see us for who we are. And so, God, we ask for your mercy and your grace. We gather in your name. The people said it. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If you just came in, glad you're here. My name is Michael. We're going to give you a second before you sit down just to say hi to the people around you. So go ahead and do that right now.
2: Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good, good. John, are you doing good? Well, I want to welcome you. My name is Ian O'Meara. I'm the director of Community Life. If you have your bulletins, you can go ahead and take those out. If you flip to the inside cover, you'll see our prayer and connection card. We're a church that's rooted in prayer, and we're a church that knows we are better together. So we encourage people to fill those out because. We want to pray for you, we want to pray with you, no matter if it's a fantastic thing or if it's a really sad or tough time. We want to pray for you. No prayer is too big, no prayer is too small. Please take time during the service to fill that out. The ushers will be coming by in just a few short minutes to receive those, so if you want to fill those out now, that would be perfect. We have just a few announcements. Today, after our second service, we're going to have our Money Matters class. If you know someone who has kids in elementary or junior high or high school— Talking to kids about money is a big deal. One of the biggest things that we that the studies are showing is kids get to college, they don't know how to handle their money. This is an opportunity centered on Christ to sit down and have a conversation with Nicole Pearson, with Ryan and Rihanna about how to talk to your kids about money. And in the same time, the kids are going to learn about money from Ryan and Rihanna. So if you know people that are interested in this or if you're kind of sitting on the fence, today's the day. Just show up. Be part of this class. You're going you're to reap the benefits of just starting that dialogue with your children or with your grandchildren or just children you know. Also, save the date. If you're a member of La Jolla Community Church, our annual meeting is going to be May 19th between the first and second services. So save that. There's no voting by proxy. You have to be here in-house to be part of that. We're going to be honoring trustees going up. And then welcoming those coming in and just have a great time hearing about where LJCC has been in this last year. Well, at this time, we're going to go to time of tithes and offering. This is where those who call La Hoya Community Church give back out of the blessings they receive. I said earlier, we're a church that's rooted in prayer. So as the ushers come forward, let me pray for us this morning. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much that we can look to you, and your work on the cross. And realize the impact it's had in our life and has, having every day. The gospel is as good as the day we were saved that is as good today, Lord. Help us to live into that calling that you've given us in our lives. Help us to keep you f- uh, the focus of our lives. And as, as the world swirls around us, Lord, that we would just keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, we just thank you for the blessings we receive. And we just give back out of the abundance that you've given us, Lord, so we can bless this community.
1: You are
0: disciples. We desire to learn from you, Master. So we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat.
3: Thank you, Michael. Michael is one incredibly gifted worship leader, is he not? And I got to say, the only reason is he's married to Monica. So let's just say it for what it is. Just acknowledge it. Their new baby back there, John, sitting on Monica's lap. Monica in that hat holding John there. And uh, tomorrow, Michael is starting a full time uh, ministry at Skyline Church out in uh, East County as their new worship pastor. So we are really excited for you in that ministry. So. well let me ask you this question um who do you think you are no that's the wrong question that's another sermon the question if you had five minutes with god would you talk or listen if you had five minutes with god would you talk or would you listen uh maybe you would say yeah i'd like to talk lord why don't you ever call me And he would say, you know, it's interesting you'd make that point and raise that question because every time I call you, it immediately goes to voicemail. (laughs) Any other questions you have for me? No, I think I'd cover it pretty much. Thank you so much. Uh, What would you do? Would you turn to the person or the person next to you or closest to you and and ask that question? If you had five minutes with God, would you talk or listen? This is a 10-second deal. Don't have to overthink this. Turn to somebody close to you and just simply say, well, if I had five minutes with God... I would, fill in the blank, would you? <laughs> 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 you know, both answers uh, work, depending on where you are in your life. I'm, I'm curious though, uh, and nosy, uh, how many of you would talk? Remind me not to sit next to you people. Okay, that's good. <laughs> you have something you'd want to say, and I hear it. Uh, if you want to listen, raise your hand. Okay. Any, any in between? I'm not sure if I talk or listen. Okay. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You people are the full-service people. You want to listen? You want to talk? You know, if we were to apply this to your kids uh, or grandkids, and if you had five minutes with your kids or grandkids, would you talk or listen? I'll just give you the answer to that one. Listen. Listen, listen, listen. And uh, you'll have so much to talk about after you listen. And probably, uh, uh, as we listen to God, we're going to have a lot, of, a lot to talk about with Him. Uh, there'll be a lot of content in that conversation that would come pouring out. Another question: If you could have a long conversation with God, what would you want to talk about? I'm not going to ask you to turn to the people around you because this could be a very personal, uh, tender, uh, touchy question. But if you could have a long conversation with God, what would you want to talk about? Would you revisit the hard things in your life? Lord, why did you allow that to happen? Why? Why? She's only 49. I was too young to die. He was 22. That's, that's no time to die. Uh, I thought I was doing so well in that job, and I lost it. Lord, that We loved that house. We had to sell it. Or, you know, right when I thought everything was going downhill, you turned it around and I can't even believe the season of life that I'm enjoying right now. It's interesting to think about what you talk about. Uh, Maybe there's some part of the Bible you say, hey, that thing about submitting to one another out of your common reverence for Christ, what's that all about? You know, what's up with that? If you could have a long conversation with God, what would you want to talk about? I mean, maybe that would really indicate how much you know about God and what he does. Because if you started the conversation with, so tell me what you do. You see, looking at you like, seriously. You don't know what I do. Uh, a lady was out here, and um, we were talking, and uh, she was visiting with her sister. And uh, I said, oh, OK, we're talking. I said, so wh- what do you do? She said, well, I, I'm an actress. And immediately I thought, oh, you're a waitress.
4: <laughs>
3: oh, you're an actress. Great. Now I'm trying to think you should actor, actually. And she said I, said, I thought, OK, how could I ask? In a, in a kind way that wouldn't embarrass her, you know, where she is in that whole orbit. And so, so what was your, what's been one of your favorite roles? I think that's wide open, and you know, well, I was the rock in this play or this movie. Or, and she said, well, you know, I think I think the role I'm doing now in the Bourne series is the main person in that movie. I, I'm like,
4: <laughs>
3: I mean, all of a sudden I was dialed in. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Now, I, yeah, I see it. Uh, I, I was in this. Golf tournament one time with a bunch of guys in the church and this pro-am thing and we were definitely the am side of the pro-am equation. We were the entertainment and and, and, you know so I'm thinking none of these guys are good golfers. I'm the worst of the bunch. But so we have this fourth person assigned to us and they're this supposed to be some kind of athletic celebrity and we're waiting, waiting, waiting. This guy (laughs) flies up in this in this cart with these two women um, who are very decorative. Let me put it that way. And uh, and he jumps out and he's barefoot and you goes okay and, and he's about my size only a bit more fit and so he's putting on his shoes and he's stepping up and, and none of us we're all looking at each other, who is this guy he's got to be you know maybe 24 and and uh, it's just this wild looking dude and I, I'm trying again thinking how do I say you know we don't recognize you what, what do you do I said hey so great having you here joining us for this program thing and. I'm, you know, we introduced ourselves and I say, so Tim, um, what do you do? What, what's your sport? Uh, he goes, well, football. I'm like, sure. This guy's gotta weigh 165, 70 pounds, maybe, you know. He's about 5'10". I said, uh, really? So, hmm. hey, well, what was your best moment? What's been your most memorable? And I'm thinking, how do I say it generously, you know? Sitting on that bench, thinking of things, what was your biggest thought, you know? He says, so what was your biggest moment so far in sports? He goes, Oh man, that's a good question. That's a hard one. I'm thinking, is that a hard one? Uh, he goes, I guess it was running back a kickoff in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all so like this, you know. <laughs> Seriously, you ran back. <clears throat> he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I'm gonna be starting with the Chargers and like, oh my gosh, you know. This is the interesting thing about having conversations. Uh, that's a big, giant one, right? But he, that was set up to be a big, giant one, because he's pro, he's a pro-athlete showing up to play golf with a bunch of duffers. But you think about it, the conversation you have day in and day out. Do you ever walk away with a sense of, you know, I didn't ask enough questions. I, I, I wasn't dialed in enough to simply be present and, and wonder who this person is, but not in a way that feels like an interrogation or an evaluation, but rather just uh, a conversation. To, to, to savor, what, what's been uh, your journey? What have you learned? What have you seen? What's been good? What's been hard? What's been um, <clears throat> meaningful to you? So if you could have a long conversation with God, what would you want to talk about? Um, I, I, I had the honor of, of officiating a memorial service yesterday for Jim Uptograph. And even though I knew Jim, hearing his life told by family and friends, it was just, all I I to think about was, oh man, I wish I had more time to hang with Jim. I think everybody there said, man, I just wish I had more time to hang out with Jim. The guy was in- insanely interesting. And, and I wish I had time to just give you the, the, the short version of that, download of incredible stories and reflections on him. And a lot of it was super quiet behind the scenes because he's a super quiet guy. He's a Latin teacher. That'd be exciting. I'd shut down conversation right away at any cocktail party. So what do you do? I teach Latin. OK, then. So uh, you, what would you do? You roll right into Pig Latin? <laughs> I a m m state. you know. Uh What would you do? Or what if he said, well, you know, I'm into motorcycles. All right. what do you like to do with motorcycles? What's been your most fun? Well, probably when Steve McQueen and I hung out and did motorcycles. Like, Wait, did you mention the name Steve McQueen? So here's the thing, as we, as we go into this reflection today, this sermon leading into communica- uh, to communion, thinking about <clears throat> God speaking to us, and us wanting to listen, and in that response, what does listening look like? Uh, I, I want us to, to tie that into where we actually live every day. Otherwise, it'll be a separate category of conversation when it comes to God. And I think one of the things that I've come to understand and observe and experience is that conversations with God are deeply personal, incredibly relevant, meaningful, inherently important, and purposeful. But they're really simple. They're they're really uh, maybe understated is the best way to put it. So let's see where this takes us final question as we go into this is, if God was talking to you, how would you know it was God? If God was talking to you, how would you know it was God? Probably every mom here, and maybe every dad, uh, every mom in here for sure though, knows the sound of their child's voice. If, If a mom is in a busy playground or a busy place, an auditorium filled with people following the school play and your kid was the rock in the play, and, and, the, and the child is so excited. He yells out, Mom. First of all, every, every woman will probably turn and, and look. But pretty much, there's a woman who goes, oh, that's me. That's me. I know that voice. Would you agree? I love that idea that that there's there's somebody who knows our voice so well. And that we know their voice so well. That it's immediately, oh, all right. Or, oh, no. Oh, no. And maybe there's people in your life, you hear their voice and you go, oh. The message on the phone, oh, it's them. Oh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be <clears throat> me defending myself or explaining myself or, oh, thank goodness it's them. I, I just need to hear from them. So if God was talking to you, how would you know it was him? So here we go in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Uh, this is a, a really iconic uh, text. If it's new to you, uh, I'm excited for you because it's so iconic. If it's very familiar to you, I hope God gives you a fresh perspective on this as you reflect on on how you know this text and what it's meant to you in the past and maybe how it applies to you right now. <clears throat> so the boy Samuel, uh, boy, he's probably 12, 13. But the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. He was ministering before the Lord under Eli because his mother Hannah, his father Elkanah, uh, took a long time to conceive him, and she was so desperate. She was the second wife of this man. Uh, they were both at this point when there was polygamy; there was a, uh, there was, it was uh, not unusual. And, and they were God-fearing people. She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. When and she, when she finally got pregnant, she said, "Lord, I'm going to dedicate this child to you." So after he was weaned, probably about two or three, she presents him to the uh, back. It's not really a temple yet; it's a tabernacle with some semi-permanent structure around it. So what was a tent is now still a tent, but it's like you had a really nice motorhome and you built it out into something that looks more substantial, only it, 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 it's, it's a pretty good-sized thing. And so now it's now kind of a compound, a spiritual center in a place called Shiloh, uh, in the hill country of Israel. And so this baby is presented back to Eli and they say, hey, this is God's gift to me. This is God's gift to me. Uh, you know that that, that that song that we hymn, a Mighty Fortress is Our God? It comes out of Psalm 46. Uh, the name um, uh, Jehovah Sabaoth is the name it's, that's based on God the Strong Tower. Uh, it's invoked in this in this in this in these passages around Samuel's birth and life. It's so God the Strong Tower. So she says, "Lord, I present him to you." So he's presented to Eli, who says, "Okay, he's going to be you know he's going to grow up in the, in this tabernacle." Bittersweet because it's her only son. Finally, as as the second wife, she has some status in this arrangement. She's giving this child up to to Eli, who has totally fumbled it with his own two sons. His sons are so out of it that that God is going to tell him, ultimately through Samuel, it's over for you, Eli. You've compromised your calling and your ministry. You're done. Samuel is going to be really the first. uh, He was a judge one of those leaders, semi-kingish, uh, you know, the main leader for a period of time in Israel. He was also maybe the first major prophet, other prophets, but he was the first prophet prophet. He was also a priest, so he was an amazing guy. Out of His relationship comes a lot of great things, uh, his relationship with God. But right now he's a boy ministering before the Lord under Eli, and in those days, I told y'all that because it, it says this, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions, and, and you don't need to wonder why, right? Eli had stopped listening to God, so he lacked vision. When you stop listening to God, when you stop understanding his word, you lack vision. You have big ideas, for sure. You have lots and lots of ideas, probably attached to, to opinions. Uh, some of those opinions grounded, perhaps, in reality. But if you are cut off from the source of, the, of, of an authentic vision, you don't have much to offer but verbiage. And so Eli had stopped listening to God, he lacked vision, and because visions are practical, imaginative responses to God's word, there weren't very many of them. All visions are prompted by God to bless people in his name. If you have a vision, it's a visual vision, Peter saying, oh my gosh, I see this sheet being lowered out of heaven, I'm sitting by the by the beach, and I'm reflecting on my, my life in Christ, and all of a sudden I see this sheet lowered out with these animals and things that are, are representative of things I don't eat, and this vision is attached... to a a message from God saying, eat. And so it's a whole other sermon. But the idea is that he's saying, whoa, this vision is compelling. And out of that vision comes a message. And out of that message comes a mission. And out of that mission comes this incredible encounter with the centurion up the coast in Caesarea, who then confesses his, his faith in Christ as the first Gentile, first Roman officer baptized into the kingdom of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So visions are prompted by God through people to bless us, or, or they come directly through people in order for those people to act on something that blesses us. You get the idea here? Powerful when visions happen. But if a vision isn't rooted in God's Word, it's a complete lie. In that same great hymn, uh, Mighty Fortress, it talks of Satan being the deceiver. And it says one little word uh, can crush him. And you know what that word is? It's a big mystery for people who study this hymn. But I don't think it's much of a mystery. Uh, The word is simple. It's liar. It's liar. You're a liar. Period. Well, wouldn't you want to use the word grace or truth or love? Yeah, Yeah, all those would work, but pretty much let's just cut to the chase and recognize who you're listening to. He's a liar. There's no possible vision that blesses anybody coming out of this encounter. So here's the situation, right? Authentic visions draw attention to God's word. But in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Can you imagine being Eli in this situation? How dispirited and discouraged he must have felt. Gee, I didn't want it to end like this. I didn't want, I didn't mean for it to go this way. I didn't start out with this as my intention, as so many things in life are. I started out with these great high aspirations and great intentions. How did I get here? You stop paying attention to God's word. Simple. Complicated, but simple. One day at a time, throughout that day day after day, you stop paying attention to God's word. And you stop talking about it in ways of saying, hey, I'm, am I understanding this correctly? That spirited conversation with brothers and sisters in Christ about the word of God isn't meant to be a, a power contest of who's right and who's wronger. Whose doctrine can, can crush the others is to say, well, what do you think this would take us if we applied it? Is this the word of God? And if it is the word of God, what would it mean to, for example, submit to one another out of our common reverence for Christ? I don't want to be somebody's slave or doormat. I don't think that's what it says. But take any passage you want, you start talking about it, in the context of the rest of God's word, and beautiful things happen. Even visions emerge. Sometimes those visions look more like brainstorming about a response to a need, the answer to a problem, right? If you're in your life group, and you all have this idea, and you're thinking, what can we do? And you start brainstorming. That's visional. That's visional. Vision is so powerful. Without a vision, the people will perish, Right? What's ironic is oftentimes in the church, there's not much vision. But in corporations across America, everybody's talking about vision. Why would we let the culture co-op one of the primary aspects of who we are? Our visions aren't about grandiosity. They're about God. And so here's the situation. Here's the situation. This young boy under Eli, having quite no idea yet what what's, this is all about. He didn't quite understand the adult Dimensions of Eli and his sons or God's judgment on Eli or why his mom and dad gave him to this service He's sort of in the middle of it going help me understand this. So that's the setting So one night Eli whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see was lying down in his usual place The lamp of God had not yet gone out uh, The idea was that the lamp of God should be burning all throughout the night. It was restored with oil twice a day and it had not yet gone out so it's a way of saying probably it could be symbolic you know just a little light in israel but it's really dim Uh, but really practically saying that that it's probably near dawn you know the darkest hour before dawn it's dark the light's still going uh and 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 this is happening in this context so you know one of those middle of the night moments the lamp of god had not yet gone out and samuel was lying down in the house of the lord where the ark of god was ironic here because the ark of god was meant to be the power of God, right? You saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. We understand it. <laughs> you are a theologian if you saw that movie. You don't want to be one of those guys opening up the ark without permission, or touching the ark without permission. Uh, and it's got some important things, and it. it's got the law of Moses. It's got some manna. Uh, I think it's got Moses' staff. It's got all kinds of interesting things. It's a big box with some decorative stuff on it. It sits on a stand. But ironically, here's the irony of this: is it big deal? It's a religious ornament at this point. A religious ornament. Yes, it is the power of God. uh, Right there. Yes, when when it was stolen later in the battle when Eli and and others had kind of undid the kingdom, uh, (laughs) the people who stole it wanted to bring it back because they were getting bubonic plague and all kinds of other issues because they had it. Their, Their little temple was getting slammed and hammered by God because they, and, and when, when the, then the ark was going to move at one point in its it travels and travails, somebody went to stabilize it, and they died. And so it's powerful, but right now it's a hood ornament uh, in this enclosure. But here it is; it, it, it all looks good—a concentrated person, Samuel, a holy place, but among unholy people, a flickering light. It's pre-dawn. God is calling. This is the setup. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered him, "Here I am." And <laughs> I love this. The Lord called, him, he says, "Yeah." but he's answering to the wrong voice because it says he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Uh, well, we naturally confuse God's voices with others. If you grew up in a, in a highly controlling family and you hear that inner voice, you go, mom, dad, is that you? Or God, is that you? Gee, if God is you, you have a kind of an authoritarian controlling voice. I had no idea that was you people are afraid of God? Why sometimes people only want to call God Father because they've been to that movie and they don't want to relive it. Other people are saying, oh my gosh, the most wonderful voice that I could ever imagine hearing is my mom or dad's voice. That's, that must be what God's voice sounds like. It sounds loving and kind, but with authority. So at this point, Eli doesn't know. Uh, you know. We know our name, but we don't know his voice, right? And who might be speaking Samuel's name but Eli? He has no context for this. Every young person, every child, every young believer has, a, has what's called naive clarity. Naive clarity is you know to the degree that you know and have experienced life. And so if you're a little kid and you have a bad day with your teacher and you wish your teacher would die and your teacher dies in a car wreck on the way home, that little kid goes, oh my gosh, it's my fault. Or a little kid uh, is acting out and the mom and dad then announce that they're gonna get divorced, the kid goes, oh no, I killed the marriage. Some of you carry these things in you. You've had experiences where your naive clarity said, that was my fault. And you carry something in you until finally in a conversation with a therapist or a pastor or a friend or a life group, it comes out and everybody goes, no, 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 no. That's not yours. That wasn't you. And they allow you to say, really? Seriously? That wasn't me? No. They start to allow you to hear the right voice. No, that wasn't you. That wasn't your responsibility. That wasn't your fail. And so can you identify with Samuel, asking that question, Lord, is that you? He's not even asking that question, but really the question is being asked by his behavior. He hears his name. He runs to Eli. Eli says, no. Uh, Eli says, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Uh, really what was going on in Eli's head, I'm sure, was for crying out loud, kid, go to sleep. <laughs> you know, please. You only got another hour before we got to get up, right, You know? Meanwhile, Samuel's going back to bed, going, hmm, a dream? Whatever, I need to get to sleep. But again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went out to Eli, went to Eli and said, Here I am. By the way, I love that phrase, here I am. It's he named in Hebrew. When Isaiah, uh, down the road, another great prophet for God, was in the temple, and he has this incredible vision of God, and he hears God's voice ringing out saying, we got a big challenge, a big problem, uh, an opportunity. Who shall we send? And Isaiah, whether he meant to say it or just heard his own voice saying it, he says, Hineni, here I am, send me. I love that phrase, Hineni. If you watch it throughout the Bible, you'll see this phrase, here I am, here I am, here I am. In a sense, uh, that's what Mary said when the angel said, here's, here's the big news. This is Mary's song, the Magnificat, here I am, send me. My son Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Okay, they're awake now and wondering what's going on. Eli is sorting it out. Samuel is still probably confused with his naive clarity. I'm the only voice I could, I could understand is Eli's, we're here alone. He's an old man, I'm assuming he needed me. And so I ran, to, I ran to him to render aid and I'm 0 for 2. And they're both wondering, who's messing with me? Is this kid messing with me? Is this old man messing with me? The fact is, it's God not messing with either of them. God is messaging both of them. God wants to tell them something important. So now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He's 12 years, 13 years old. He doesn't know the Lord. How could this be? The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Uh, and again, it's a picture of naive clarity. How would you know? Jan and I are one time having a very spirited conversation it really wasn't a yelling argument. It was just a spirited conversation. Oh, no, wait, that, not, no, that kind of thing. And Lauren, our eldest daughter, who's now 30, was in third grade, and she goes, hey, you guys, what's going on? She's very nervous about this conversation. And I, and I said, oh, we're just talking about stuff, and we're just you know, having an animated conversation. And it dawned on me, oh my gosh, she's in third grade. Families start getting divorced in third grade, typically. I said, "Hey, sweetie, are any of your friends, moms, and dads getting?" Oh, she said, "Are you guys getting divorced or something?" I said, "No, but are some of your families said school? Are those families getting divorced?" She goes, "Yeah." I said, "No, this is what couples do. They talk. They work things out. You know, naive clarity. Who's going to inform you so you can make sense of your experience, your observations, the content? We need informed, faithful guides." There's a bunch of kids, uh, especially in the Second Service, a bunch of kids, children in one place, junior high school and high high school kids in another, the Surf Shack, the Cove, all these kids with all these aspirations and dreams and great potential. What adults, besides their mom and dad, maybe their teacher, their coach, the youth leaders, the Sunday school teachers, who is speaking into their life? You've heard us say over and over again, we want five adults to know uh, uh, that kid. We want a kid who, they're going to walk through this campus to have five people go, hey, how you doing? And the mom and dad go, hey, I didn't know them. Oh, that's so-and-so. You want to put a smile on a parent's face? You to recognize their kid. We do something for their kid, and the parent goes, thank you. That meant a lot to me. Well, I didn't do it for you. Oh, yeah, you did. You did it for me. Thank you. It's like when Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you did it for me. Uh, who will be the guides of these kids? I sent a study out to a bunch of people that last spring came out, massive study uh, funded by uh, this uh, treetop foundation, private family foundation, zillions of dollars in this family foundation. They're followers of Jesus, the guy that runs the foundation is a former McKinsey partner. They said, let's commission a study and find out the state of the American church. They went to every possible kind of church, seminary, Christian organization, Young Life, university, all over the map. They interviewed all these people, and they said, hey, we've come to understand that there's about 35 million kids currently uh, somehow relating to churches in the United States who a decade or two or three from now will no longer have a relationship with the church in a meaningful way. And it wasn't an institutional thing. Oh, no, they're leaving the church. No, it was this. There's a relational issue here. They will, not, they will be doing this, even if they maybe have some kind of a idea or experience or, or belief in God, because they've never met a, a compelling adult with a compelling faith. And if they do know that compelling adult, it's such a small version that they can dismiss it as just an anomaly. Well, that was my mom. You see where this goes? You want to change the culture, get to know a kid's name. It's that simple. If you don't know a kid's name, you're helping the culture uh, crash. And that's not a guilt trip. That's simply an observation. If people who know Jesus aren't telling a kid, there's a Jesus who loves you through word and deed, why would we expect anybody else in the culture to do that? It's just not going to happen. This is our dilemma, right? This is Samuel and Eli's dilemma. We need informed, faithful guides. Get one and be one. If you need one, ask for it. Join a life group. Get a mentor. We'll we'll be glad to guide you. If you've been guided and you have a sense of what's going on, become one. If you don't have time to become one, change your schedule. Your schedule is not that important. Honestly, truly, it is. At the end of your life, you're going to say, had I only had more time, I would have been a guide. After Jim up to funeral yesterday, people would come up to me saying, you know, Jim uh, saved my daughter's life through Latin. I'm like, how did he save your daughter's life through Latin? I thought that killed most students. <laughs> I
4: thought
3: there were more fatalities and serious injuries from Latin. You know, some long Latin verb sticking in somebody's throat, you know. Sending them to the emergency room where the doctors had to remove it. Oh, my gosh, it's a Latin participle, you know. Um, connected to a strong, strange verb amalgamation. She said, yeah, my daughter struggled with the anorexia. We thought we were going to lose her a number of times. I said, wow. And Latin turned her around. She said, Jim Uptograph turned her around. He simply paid attention to her and, and, and affirmed her and spoke words of encouragement to her and didn't try to fix her. He just simply was present to her, teaching Latin in a way that she felt so esteemed and so uh, validated in that scary, fragile place that she was living. I said, whoa. I said, what's she doing now? She goes, she's a physician. And she's an awesome physician. I said, no kidding, she's an awesome physician. She was guided by somebody who ministered to her in a way that she, in turn, has, is now ministering to her, her, her patients. So we bear God's image, but we don't understand it without his help. How has God made himself known to us? Words. Dabar. Words. Dabarim. Words. Plural. Uh, The people of Israel were the people of the word. Hear these words, thus saith the Lord. We think of words as insubstantial. Words are so substantial. Whoever gave verse to the lie, a lie to the verse, sticks and stones can break my bones, but word, you know, names can never hurt me, uh, was smoking something because words are powerful. Powerful, powerful, powerful. We are people of his word made alive by his spirit. I love the way that Romans, uh, Paul says to the Romans, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They're using words. Use your words, right? How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? Yeah, where's the content for the basis of that call? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? That's words. How can anyone preach unless they are sinned? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, as, in, as he says later in, the, in, in Romans. We oftentimes say, you know, preach the gospel, and if, if necessary, use words, and we attribute it to St. Francis. Uh, Fact check. He did not say that anywhere. Nowhere in his writings, none of his disciples, none of his biographers have him saying that ever. Here's what Francis did. He, he, he submerged himself in the word of God. He prayed himself for the Word of God, and he was constantly talking about the Word of God, constantly talking. Five times a day, he would preach in villages, indoors, outdoors. Talk, 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 talk. But he also listened, and he also prayed. So, a third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Hill and said, Here I am. You called me. I'm getting kind of tired of this. Are you? You know? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, did you show you where Eli was? What should have been the height of his powers toward the end of his life? It took him a while to figure out that actually God was speaking to this boy. Like, oh, why didn't I see this? Are you aware of what God is doing in your life and in the lives of people around you? Are you dialed in? Are you thinking, not, not panicking and, and churning with anxiety and trying to get everybody's stuff, but are you observant? of what's going on in your own soul? Are you paying attention to the people around you and understanding what's going on with them? Are you listening? Are you learning to listen? Are you helping others listen? Are you helping them learn to listen? So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel, or maybe Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Just a brief comment here. This is about revelation, not hallucination. Very, very uh, simple in our culture to, to immediately dismiss this sort of thing as hallucinatory. A sign of mental illness. Oh, yeah, God's talking to him. Oh, she's hearing those voices again. And yes, it could be. It could be a serious psychotic issue, a schizophrenic issue. But the question really is, how are you responding to God's revelation, his coherent, cohesive, compelling revelation? God was present here, but it took them time to get it. Maybe that describes us, too. I'm a slow learner. I, I read it and hear it and finally go, oh, hmm. They were discerning reality, not distorting it. This is not a sign of mental illness. They were discerning. What's going on here? They weren't distorting it. Well, I think God Eli wants you to give me a raise. You know. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. This is the first time I've really ever thought about the fact that there's, there's a, in a Hebraic word that can be translated tingle. I, I, tingle just doesn't seem to fit in the momentous you know, severity of this situation. I think of tingle as sort of a light-hearted word. Ooh, maybe tingle. Um, but this is tingle as in uh, there was like this electric v- voltage going through me that alarmed me or alerted me or either delighted me or made me think, oh, no. And in this case, it was really an oh, no, tingle. Uh, because what God was doing is he was about to say to Samuel to say to Eli, it's done. It's over. Samuel was going to grow to become the new priest, the prophet, the one who God would use to shape Israel, both as a judge and as one who would help them navigate through the next years. This happens, by the way, between about 1050 and 950 BC, an amazingly compacted part of Israel's history. So listening to God makes you tingle and perhaps tinkle. It brings us scary close to God, making us alive in him. That's the whole point of it. So, um... Fast forward to the New Testament. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with him except Jesus. This describes Peter, James, and John on the top of a mountain. Uh, in this moment of transfiguration, Jesus has this bright, you know, like an incredibly um, transformational uh, uh, experience in their presence, and they're blown away by it. And when it's all over, uh, God says, this is my son whom I love. will listen to him. It all comes down to Jesus. Why? Because everything comes together in him. Everything falls apart without him. This is an outrageously offensive claim in our culture. How narrow-minded could you be? How small-minded to say something so ridiculous? that It all comes down to Jesus because everything comes together in him. And everything comes apart without him. Yeah, yeah. Paul writes to the Colossians, in him, all things hold together. Without him, it doesn't. I'll finish with this. Jeremiah speaks for God, reminding us of the proper foundation and framework for our identity, which is the Lord himself. Jeremiah says this, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong woman boast of her strength, or the rich couple boast of their riches. But let them boast about this. If they're going to be excited and Animated and talk about how excited they are about anything that could be tantamount to boasting. Here's the big message that they understand and know me. That they understand. They've processed the content, the words, the message, and they know me. It's not just knowing me as oh, it's a fact. It's an interesting historic footnote. It's knowing me in their core being. I am the Lord. You know that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. I ask you the question, do you know and understand the Lord? Are you coming to know and understand the Lord? You perhaps have walked with him for decades. Where are you at this point in your knowing and understanding of the Lord? If you think you've already figured it out, uh, you haven't figured anything out yet. And if you're feeling like, gee, by this time I think I should have figured it out, oh, you're probably in the right place means you're still wrestling, wrestling with the implications and, and engaging in the, and the complexities and the mysteries, but in a way you're saying, you know, it's coming a lot more clear and simple. Wow, it's a big message. You can learn to listen to him, and you can learn to speak with him as, by way of responding to God. That's prayer. By being rooted in Christ, you will delight in God's kindness, justice, and righteousness. Why? Because that's his word. This is what his word tells us. I'll finish by saying this. How do you know any of this stuff with Samuel and Eli was true and grounded in reality? We get to read the history. We get to read about what happened that they couldn't control, but they, they were a part of. We get to see what they did and what they said and how they did it and how they said it. We had a men's steak night here. Uh, a bunch of guys, uh, they not steak night, we had a carne asada night. John Wilson got up and told some of his story. and, and engage us to talk about how we can serve this community out of, out of his story in Christ. It was so compelling. It was riveting. It was amazing. Uh, Don Wolfo followed and, and talked a bit about his story. Again, guys are just listening. And then, and then um, uh, Gerald gets up. Uh, and if you've met Gerald, Gerald's about this tall. Uh, from Uganda, spent most of his formative years in an internally displaced persons camp, uh, and eventually got to come to this country, and he was telling his story, which again, we're all like, amazing. Why would you believe it? Why would you believe anything these three men said? It sounds far-fetched, it's transformation in their life, the, the things that they've gone through, only because we got to see it. We've seen it confirmed in reality Therefore, it was compelling and convicting, convincing, right? This is, your, this is for you. I already know it's for you because you're already living it. I see it in you. I'm saying it's for you in the next step you take to not only experience it personally, but to express it to others. Be praying as you leave today. Who are those people going to be for whom I will be a guide? Not an intrusive, controlling guide. But hopefully, an influential, impactful guide. So, Lord Jesus, that's our prayer for us. We thank you that that's what you did for us in Samuel and all that followed. And what you did is you came uh, to love us and give your life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite those who are going to be uh, distributing communion to come forward right now. On that night that he was betrayed, final night of his. When his disciples, uh, after a long conversation over the evening with him, he took some bread, and having blessed it, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. In the same manner, he took that cup, and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant, the confirmation of God's presence among us. The new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of it. God wants to put a new and fresh word in your heart, in your mind, and on your lips. For some of you, it will be a very familiar word. It will not be the word liar. It will be the word Lord. And because he is your Lord, what would that mean for you? What will it mean for the people that you pray for and do everything you can to encourage and counsel and cheer on? Powerful. And whenever they talk about their experience of the Lord, somehow your name is going to pop up in that conversation in ways that might embarrass you if you were there, uh, but will bless people knowing that there are people like you out there uh, who are are living as if Jesus really were your Lord and seeing the fruit of that. And so, Lord Jesus, as we come forward to receive this uh, bread and this cup, gluten-free but filled with you and your power and presence, in a way transformed by your presence in this place, not just symbolic but substantive, we pray that we uh, remember yet again that you are lord or perhaps for the first time open our hearts and minds to you as our savior and our lord by receiving you and believing in you we pray this in Jesus' name amen so uh closest to you go to wherever there are people uh, with these elements and receive them and hear words like this this is christ's body given for you this is christ's bloodshed for you if you're not a believer uh, this is not for you we don't want to pose this on you we put you on the spot so you don't feel, don't feel compelled to come forward and receive this but if you have a faith in jesus this is for you then does that fill you with hope and confidence that his love is perpetual he doesn't ration it he pours it out generously he satisfies and fills us with his love lots of things run out in life lots of things dry up blow away, die his love endures forever in us and through us and through that love his word endures forever and we endure forever. With that in your heart and your mind and, and in your hands may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who lifts up his countenance upon us all give you everything you need to live in him and to walk in him one day at a time both now and forevermore.